0: Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now, he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at SiriusXM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on SiriusXM Business Radio.
1: Hi. I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. Each week, we introduce you to the movers and shakers of the craft beer industry, as well as beer lovers from other realms of popular culture. As always, I'm here in the taproom with my co-host, our head brewer, Maria Cabre. Hello, Maria. Hi, John. Our next guest founded Bottle Logic Brewing in Anaheim, California in 2013 with partners Wes Parker and Steve Napolitano. They quickly garnered national acclaim winning two medals at the Great American Beer Festival very early in their existence. They're well known in the craft beer world for their extensive barrel-age program and for their epic collaborations with brewers across the country. Today, we are also holding the radio show from inside the production area in the brewery. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Brandon Buckner. Brandon is joined by Lindsay Langston, Bottle Logic's Creative Director. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Brandon. How are you guys?
2: Excellent. Thanks for having us. Hello.
1: Thank, yes, and uh, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today. So I, I, I want to ask, Brandon, where did you grow up at?
0: Um, so I'm I'm from Orange County, um, born-bred. Uh, Wes and Steve. All of us kind of grew up in the area, um, but we've moved around throughout California and some parts of Hawaii. Certain points, but oh, nice, <laughs> <back> nice here <area. laughs>
1: Do you remember your first exposure to craft beer? That, uh, that beer that might have been that aha moment for you?
0: Um, I would say between the three of us, um, you know, I'd say my uncle was actually a pretty big influence to that. He um, was a very avid um, fan of Stone and, um, and Sierra Nevada back in the day. And he collected, he actually aged, uh, collected and aged a lot of beers. Um, and when Steve and Wes come over for barbecues, he would <laughs> bring out like a ten-year-old, uh, you know, ale smith beer or something like that—something, something to show off. And you know, it was his taste to, to age it like that. But um,
1: are you, wait you cool a second—are we talking about like aging IPAs and stuff, or, or are we talking like Bigfoot?
0: Yeah, he would age IPAs. <laughs> um, okay, his favorite thing was special ale. He would uh, uh. anchor. He would age that. So when I turned uh, when I turned 21, he actually had a bottle from my birth year, uh, Magnum, and he sent wow. that out. Um, so yeah, he was definitely a big um, influence for us. Um, Steve Steve um, he had uh, you know started homebrewing way before Wes and I did, um, and he kind of got us more into the making making of beer. But,
1: ah, okay. Uh,
0: my my first beer though, my first craft beer that I, I just was blown away with was. Uh, um celebration oh sure. nice like nice song.
1: nice when did you guys because i you know i've known you guys for a while now when did you guys start homebrewing as a collective because that's what it was right
0: yeah Um uh, so steve started homebrewing before we did um, and I mean, our our homebrewing start was more selfish. We were just trying to save money. We thought we could save money by <laughs> brewing <here> ourselves. Um, <laughs> uh, that wasn't true.
1: Right, all, I know, but, I know uh, that deal.
0: But yeah, Steve Steve had a um, an old tamale pot that we used to uh, uh, um, brew in that he got from a yard sale. So we brewed in that uh, with him for a bit, and then Wes really got kind of hooked on it. And, um, we scaled up from there. Uh, we, we had a brew magic system for a while. Um, uh, that was probably 2008, 2009. Right. Okay. We started together really doing that. And then by 2010, we were meeting up three, four times a week to, to do, uh, after work brew and we'd be brewing until like two, 3 a.m. Um, And we probably dumped like half of that, half of that beer, but it was just more of the the fun of actually making it together.
1: What were you guys, uh, Lindsay included, what were you guys doing before you got into really into the brewing industry?
0: Oh, before beer. Um, so Steve, Steve, uh, had gone to law school and at the time was working, um, at a, a pretty big company doing, um, HR, uh, stuff. And I, uh, was a personal trainer at the time, uh, working. Um, I had worked at 24 hour fitness, but I was doing my own, my own side hustle too.
1: I did not know um, that. That is awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Used to be
0: in shape. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we all used to be in shape. Okay.
0: I'm getting on working on it.
1: Oh, you, you uh, look great, it, dude. By the way, right. I mean the Peloton, the, the, what you've done is amazing by the way.
0: <laughs> yeah. Peloton's great. Uh, Peloton's hearing to send me money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, and then Wes, Wes, uh, owned his own, um, internet, um, advertising company. He was a programmer, um, for that. Um, and it kind of boiled down to, we were homebrewing so much and all of us were kind of dissatisfied with where our jobs were, were at the time. and. I think Wes was the driving factory. I always remember um, we were in a car. It was Wes, Steve and I, and Wes just finally told us he was tired of not being able to create things anymore that he wanted to create. Uh,
1: um,
0: he thought the programming world was getting too cookie cutter for him. So oh, okay. um, I think it was the driving factor was that. And then Steve, you know, worked on a business plan and both of them kind of had that aha moment. And then we were... To the to the races, so to speak.
3: And you, Lindsay, what were you doing pre Bottle yeah, Logic?
2: Um, I I've done about a decade working for Disney, um, and had had a cool opportunity to be like a tour guide in the parks, and then jumped into um, the opportunities that they present some of the the team there in fine dining. So I loved oh, nice. uh, tour guiding to take the sommelier courses and helped Ooh. run the floor um, at Napa Rose and then got to open the new fine dining restaurant inside the California Adventure Park. So um, super into flavor and, and, building layered experiences for people with how they can find new things and, and enjoy things that they didn't really think about before and maybe a new way. So, so flavor is kind of my, my hook. That's here. awesome.
1: That is awesome. So next time I actually, I get out to California and come visit you guys again, and we go to Disneyland. You could probably give yeah. us the whole breakdown. Absolutely, a- as a great oh, tour guide.
2: Script, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of hand gestures. Yes. Yeah. yes.
1: When um, oh,
0: wow. a lot of clubs lately. We've been going to Disneyland. That's yeah,
1: amazing. We usually end
2: up the Trader at Rams. Trader Sam's.
1: Oh yeah, I, I need to get on this train next time. Definitely. Um, Perfect. so when did you guys? cement the idea of opening a brewery
0: so probably 2010 end of 2009 beginning of 2010 uh the business plan that steve originally came up with it was a way smaller I right, concept um after doing some research on that it was decided we needed to make it bigger so um we originally were gonna do like i think it was like a seven barrel um but we sized it up to 15 which in retrospect it should have been bigger but um
1: always we always. started
0: looking for real estate at that time and um i think it really it all everything that we had planned was dependent on finding like the right spot and once we found our spot that we're at now we just knew it was like um well <laughs> it's I mean, like either need a, we need to step up and do this or we just need to just stop so um we we went for it and uh yeah, it's amazing to see where it was to where it is today. Because um, the, the building we got was like abandoned, oh, so there's yeah. all kinds of coffee grounds and cassette tapes and weird movie posters, like <laughs> Eyes Wide <laughs> Shut stuff in there. It was weird, uh-huh. but um, we were, we got it all cleared out.
1: So you guys just happenstance upon finding this place, or how did you guys like? I mean, how did you come upon this uh, gold Seems mine that good. it is now?
2: Steve's a monster at research. And so Ah. once he gets an idea, he pursues it relentlessly. Okay. And then also comes up with plans B through double Z. So Ah. he, he kind of took the charge there. Yeah.
1: Nice.
0: We had a, um, we did have a real estate agent that was showing us some spots and, um, we had some other contenders that, which funny enough are now breweries in their own right that someone took the spots. But, um, for us the spot was so close to the freeway and right um, yeah it's, it, it was it's great, a great location but, um, yeah it wasn't like a, a, a sign that your name on there and it was a deal we, of course there was some negotiation involved and um I, I mean the market at that time was really good so i, I think it would i don't I wouldn't i wouldn't have picked anything different at that time but um it definitely wasn't like uh it, it took a couple months to,
1: to really get the
0: negotiation i hear from. you
1: I hear you. So, how long have you guys been open now? From opening day till now, how many, how many years are you guys going on?
2: Uh, we opened the day after Valentine's Day in twenty fourteen. Wow! And it has never really stopped.
1: No, no. I think we've only other than the
2: oh, other than yeah, COVID. Yeah. yeah,
0: I think we've only were closed for a handful of days. Yeah, we
2: closed for like holiday parties, and otherwise yeah. we're cranking.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. So. The tap rooms of, of some craft breweries are designed like they are an afterthought. But, knowing you know, I've been to your place. You guys have put quite a bit of thought and money into creating more of an experience and stylish look for your tap, you know, like your tap room tasting room. Why was that so important to you guys, you think?
2: I, I think something that's important uh, in talking about location, it's so convenient for us to be kind of in Disneyland's backyard but then you're also kind of competing with like production level, you know? So we were, we wanted to be really, um, we wanted to bring a lot of intention into the place that we knew we were creating and set it apart in a way that it could be um, from, from the next story down the street. And so when you can build a little bit richer of a, an environment, you can capture. Tell a story. Yeah. Capture some more interest, some more enduring interest.
0: Between Wes and Steve and I, when we first opened, we had really made an effort to go out and visit other breweries throughout the country, um, easily over a, hundred, a couple hundred that we have collectively all visited. And we wrote down kind of the things that we liked from each spot, and like wh- then we analyzed why why did we like that or why did it work. And a lot you'll, the original design of the tasting room, a lot of that was reflected in that research.
1: Yeah, I mean. Really, I mean, a, a tasting room is the lifeline. I mean, you have obviously distribution, but really, the, I think the heart and soul, besides obviously production, is a tasting room. I mean, it, it's a must-have. So give me a little background information. Where did you guys come up with the name Bottle Logic? Where did that all stem and root from? <laughs> it's not really. Um, it's not that interesting. <laughs> but it's, like a, it's a funny story. Yeah. yeah. Um, so
0: Wes is a programmer. He literally just created, a, his own, uh, name generation program. And, uh, <laughs> okay. we, had, we ran a million, of ran them. a million of them. Uh, Stephen West and I went through the list and picked our top 10 each and then we used um, Google analytics to ha- get people to vote on them. And then, um, we wanted to pick a very good neutral ground name. And, um, um after, 3 4 rounds bottle logic. It was funny too because it was on the list and all of us were like, "Nah, that's too obvious." <laughs> <laughs> there was other, there was some pretty good names in there. A lot of them for some reason were very nautical. I don't remember yeah. why we did that.
2: But it was uh, like, probably
0: California, there I guess. It was like yeah.
2: Lost Frog. That was New, a contender.
0: Oh my movie. gosh.
2: Yeah, Ember,
0: Ember Brewing. That was probably that, the closest to becoming the, our name. I mean, that's not bad. Uh, that's
1: not bad though. I mean, but looking back, I mean, Bottle Logic, I mean, definitely nowadays yeah. stands out <laughs> more than more than lost frog or something like that
0: yeah. you, you'd, be, <laughs> so, you'd be surprised a lot of the, back in that day a lot of the stuff were like no nah, it's too on the nose we're, right. we're not, not going to do that so,
1: oh my gosh like
0: the logo our logo with the beer bowl we're like no nah, it's too obvious like show us the <laughs> artist like show us show us two other ideas and they're like nah, let's go back to the beer bowl
1: oh boy oh boy so, so you guys actually uh, you know from conception you you actually won a few medals at GABF right out the gate can you describe the feeling of winning those medals and how they affected the trajectory of the business?
0: Sure. Um, I mean, any brewer's dream is to go on that stage and, get, you know, have that recognition and, you know, get a little fist
2: bump. Um, I think there's an important validation like, hey, we're all in on this and we're giving it our all and we think it's great. we just in a bubble and it's to to have like the professional recognition that hey something here is working is is really empowering
0: especially when it's like the styles that we did win in it's those are styles that we care about or we care about everything but i mean like we cherish those kind
1: of styles they're they're more close to your heart yeah yeah
0: and to have somebody you know other people agree with what we thought was cool and i mean I just remember the first thought in my head, um, the first time we won, is my phone got blasted with like text messages and uh, you know mentions on uh, Instagram and stuff. So I turned my phone off, and we're going up the stage, and I remember the one thing I kept thinking was, "Don't trip on the stairs, <laughs> up or down." And uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun.
1: That's awesome. Man.
0: Um, these days, though, uh, in terms of competition, you know our businesses evolve. So it's really hard for us to find styles that we can enter that yeah. our beer would be, have a fair shot in consideration. Right. I mean, they'll, I almost feel like the only competition these, this day for us is Bobab uh, right. festival of barrel age beer, just cause the it's the other barrel age brewers who are judging it. So yeah. they kind of, you know, know what the, know what to look for in terms of,
1: uh, well, I know, mean, I mean, you can still enter JBF. I mean, but you've got to do like the pumpkin category or like the fruit and spice category where there's only like yeah. eleven entries. And that's that, that...
2: a catal. Yeah. Right? Like it's I, I wish that it would be cool to see wine like laws or designations kind of carry over into the beer world. I right. think there's a lot yes. of clarity for wine consumers, knowing that like, okay, this is a Sangiovese. This is from this region, and it, and I know what I'm going to get when I'm buying this. And so I think if there were a little bit more kind of parameters in, in beer, it could be ultimately really valuable for the consumer. And I don't mean that as like a creative stifling, but just like we've talked about in our own production, okay, what does a smoothie beer mean versus a Berliner? And let's talk about viscosity and help people understand, are you going to be like, chewing through this pulp or is it going to be bright and refreshing so we started like putting a, a, a viscometer scale on our labels which That's is always amazing. kind of a trip but um yeah trying to trying to help people understand what they're in for setting that expectation and hopefully exceeding it
0: i mean uh, another even with barrel age stuff like in great american to be great if we could split up some of the categories sure. Like barrel aged coffee beer or something. Yeah. I know right. it's, you're adding more to the to the to be judged, but um, that's the thing about Fobab I love it's so spread out, and there's the categories are very um, defined. There's no gray area between those, right. so you know where it's your beer specific. needs to
1: go. Right.
0: But we have like one hybrid beer where we were a little iffy on, but the the guy who was in charge of judging was able to really like kind of okay. give us guidance. Yeah.
3: You're listening to The Beer Hour, and we're talking to Lindsay and Brandon of Bottle Logic Brewing. Um, So you guys are known for your barrel aging program. I guess that the best known of those beers may be FO, Fundamental Observation, a bourbon barrel-aged imperial vanilla stout which sits in a barrel for a year with two and a half pounds of Madagascar vanilla beans. You call it liquid brownie batter. Why did you guys decide to go so deep into barrel aging?
0: Um, So that was like... Our second or third yeah. re, uh, release in our, in our program at that time. And uh, we hadn't really adjuncted anything yeah. um, barrel wise. We, we did a Saison, but I don't, I don't really count that one. Cause we did it all hot side, but this was like <laughs> okay. post, post aging adjuncting. And um, I just remember the mindset we were at, at the time. Uh, Wes was a really heavy into this vanilla kick. Um, he still is, agenda. isn't he?
2: Yeah, uh, he's a
1: yes, Sometimes he's a yes, cinnamon cake, yes, sometimes he's a
0: coffee cake. It really depends. <laughs> um, but the first batch of F.O. was 12 bourbon barrels, wow. um, which used to be in front of the tasting room. And I, I was, uh, West and I switched off on putting beans in it. And it, it was, I don't know, uh, Lindsay can agree with me on this. Sometimes West and I kind of bicker, but it's not like angry bickering. It's right. Like, I guess more brotherly. Yeah. Right you got to know us, I guess. Yes. But we were fighting over the, like how much vanilla to actually put in this. And I'm like, I was more reserved. I'm like, I think it's, it's getting there. And he's like, no, no, no. It's like, go ahead and put another half, half ounce in or a half, you know, whatever. And, uh, Ooh, yeah, that was, uh, by the time (laughs) it was released, I was, me and a couple other people were worried, like it was too much. And then we, uh, we sneak peeked that at, um, the brewery anniversary party, yeah. yeah.
2: Oh, that was wild! What an experience that was. And
0: it, no one knew about it. It was just the first five minutes during the pre-fest. Uh, some brewers came by and right. tried it, and then I'd say 15 minutes into the festival, we went from maybe like having a, like one or two people come up and like say hi to us, and then we had this huge ass line um, for at fundamental. And we we're lucky we brought two kegs of that, Right. Um, but yeah, it uh, the two keg- the two kegs didn't last very long. I'd mm-hmm. say it's like an hour, hour and a half, but um, it
2: was wild to experience something like happen in real time, like a lightning bolt frenzy. Of that moment. Yeah. It was wild. Um, so-, so we were super humbled by that. And, uh, uh,
0: when we got back to the brewery, I remember we we're just looking at what we had volume wise and we're like, Oh, sh- we don't,
1: we don't have enough. We don't have enough. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that release was stressful yeah. um learned a lot learned a lot fast. learned about had uh, our first uh, you know the line the line of cutters and yeah whatnot. people yeah. changed costumes and all that stuff
3: <laughs> we actually but, uh, remember. Yeah. We remember the first time we had F.O., and it was year one, and it was at Bill Sysak's house. Oh,
1: my gosh. At yes. his bottle at share. The, uh, Stone Anniversary. Yes. We had the bottle share. Hey, yeah. That was yes. amazing.
3: Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, so I remember wow. trying I, that.
1: And I was making um,
3: old, old fashions,
1: and Bill kept yelling at me for using his good bourbon. <laughs>
0: that was my first time having uh,
1: DFBF. I remember that. Yep. Yes, that was awesome. Hey, so you guys, you know, you guys have been poured in Disneyland almost since you opened. How did that come about? I mean, do tourists try your beer at Disneyland and make their way to your tasting room later in their trip? I mean, how did this whole thing kind of come to a summation?
2: It's it's layered, right? There's some... Um, so we, we're self-distributed, and we made that choice really early on because we wanted to create the product that we wanted to create at the time we wanted to create it and do, like, leave ourselves the opportunity to rabbit hole and get really specific on what we're trying to accomplish and give it all the time it needs. Um, And so we got into this rhythm over the past seven and a half years now of like, Hey, we're going to do everything at our own pace and working with a partner like Disney um, in, in the way that we do it, man that, that we've been able to hold on to our goals of, of making really unique, interesting products. For a company the size of Disney, for a, an audience the size of what what Disneyland can reach um, is, I don't know, like a, an unbelievable accomplishment in, in my eyes. And so it's really cool that their team is interested to work with us and work like with Bottle Logic specifically in that they know what we make, they know our capabilities, and they're... And the productivity is great because they can send some of their teams over. And so if they've got a certain menu coming down for the fall, they'll come to us uh, a couple months in advance and we'll wrap in the chasing room and talk about what sort of stuff are you hoping to put down with your guests? And that, we'll just kind of build these things together. And that's, that's amazing. Um, literally yeah. unbelievable.
1: That to, is awesome. To have the
2: opportunity to do us with a partner with a partner
1: like disney so speaking of go ahead brennan sorry i apologize i was just
0: saying the thing i'm more impressed with especially in the last couple years is i mean we've almost kind of like like you said we're branching out and trying new things um but we're we've learned a lot from doing that like making more approachable things for people to try but the communication we've got from disney to know where the beer will be eventually we can like almost cater the beer to that location, especially totally. Cal- California Venture. Like it's so easy for us because a lot of their branding is like, you know, old fruit uh, crates and stuff like that. We're like, Oh, we could do a peach beer or something like that. And it'll, what that's at smoke jumpers, I think. Yeah. So, so like a barbecue spot and um, it's just, it, it becomes that like instant win for them. So, and then the uh, seltzer and then the <laughs> I don't want to talk about the cube. But, uh, yeah, the seltzer. Uh, the seltzer we do there does well. and uh, okay,
2: but it also looks great with a glow cube in it. Yeah.
0: There you go. Okay. He, okay. If
1: it with a glow cube at night, <laughs> I, I don't know. The that was Not our idea. That's our okay. Idea. <laughs> a, little, a little more aesthetics to go along. I see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, I want to thank you guys very much for your time. Thank you so much. It has been a pleasure talking to both of you. And uh, totally. Hope, our thanks pleasure. for Hopefully we will uh, right we'll be able to see you guys soon.
3: Well, hopefully. are you guys going to Pastry Town? Yeah. Oh, Okay, we'll uh. see you then.
1: Are you, are, awesome. Are you? <laughs> are Peloton rides back open yet? I mean, public, like, can we go in there yet and ride the Peloton with the class yet, Brandon? Um, or no?
0: In New York, I don't. If, 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 even if they were, you would, would have had to reserve them like three weeks ago. Ah.
3: Oh. Oh, oh. Boo.
1: I could say we could have booked a Peloton the class
0: Lowry, The hotel does have a Peloton bike
1: Ah, okay Okay, so I know where I'll find you then
0: I did look that up
1: okay. <laughs> Thank <laughs> well, you guys you so high much high Yes, well thank you very I much you And uh, we will you. see you very much soon Thank you Bye. Bye You're
0: listening to the Beer Hour
1: With Jonathan
0: Wakefield Conversations on the business of brewing And popular culture
1: J. Wakefield Brewing is located in the heart of Winwood. An urban neighborhood in Miami, Florida, Winwood is best known for its murals by the world's most acclaimed street artists. That group includes our next guest. He's a multifaceted graffiti artist whose work ranges from murals to paintings, animations, and urban sculpture. He may be best known for his signature character, a defiant looking monkey called El Mono Fresco, which he incorporates into many of his works. His murals, Aaron, the Sunbather, in the Winwood silos have garnered national attention and helped redefine the signature aesthetic of this hometown. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Danny Phila, aka Crave. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me, man. I'm doing great. Thank you very much uh, for coming on the show. Uh, we're very happy to have you on. So you, pretty much like me, are a lifelong Miami resident. Mm-hmm. How would you describe how Winwood has evolved into this mecca? for street art and more specifically murals from, from what it was.
4: Wow. That's, you know, been a lot of factors have contributed to that. I like to, you know, go with the like less common knowledge factors, like the fact that, you know, in the nineties after Hurricane Andrew, all the buildings became dilapidated and we just had this influx of, you know, graffiti artists spending all their energy on the weekends, painting, painting, painting and painting. So we had this subculture happening. Um, and it was just, fertile grounds once you know the opportune moment came about with Art Basel that everyone knows about in 2002 entering the scene and Wynwood becoming like kind of a free-for-all place where you can get away with anything right um (laughs) those those things you know came about and then there's a lot of people that you know of course saw that and organized it and made it you know got credit for that too but what I saw was you know just a lot of really really passionate young artists and just you know flooding the streets with their energy
1: I mean it's definitely i think a far cry now even from what it was when we started seven years ago i mean it's i mean it's more commercialized i mean you get heineken sponsored tents and this and that and seven years ago when or even eight when i was doing like the pop-up to kind of let everybody know we'd start this build out or we're Mm going to be opening soon we weren't even open it was still dudes looking for walls Mm -hmm. coming from europe everywhere to just paint to express themselves and express their art I mean that's what kind of drew me to this area was the knit and grit and the yeah. the street vibe and the street art and the real deal artistic you know interpretations that were going on it versus what it is now I mean it's still great it's but yeah. it's it's not the same
4: it's changing constantly I mean you know we yeah. live, we're here all the time and it's always changing um I I love to watch you know how it's become and what it's become but you know there's frustrations on the artistic level a lot of artists have their like galleries uh, you know people that want to take it more seriously art more seriously right. you know they, they feel cheated they feel insulted like all those people i I right. before mentioned you know didn't necessarily get, get any payoff for being here right and pioneering it right right i'd say a good majority of them didn't and that's there's a lot of that but then there's also we have an economy here now right yes. um yeah you can still be a guerrilla artist you don't yeah. you know you can just Find a
1: dilapidated area and just start painting here. It's still like that. I mean, well, I mean, when I opened, there were, there were 10 art galleries on the street. Mm-hmm. Now I got like five nightclubs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah. <laughs> it's a playground. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely different. I mean,
4: but that's the story of yeah, Miami, uh, though. I mean, yeah. we're just like a fast growing, anytime something comes about, look at the beer culture. Right. I, mean, I know. Yeah. It took
1: off. Um, so you are a son of a commercial artist. You intended yeah. Dash mm-hmm. here in Miami, one of the best high schools of its kind in the country. Uh, You went on to earn an MFA from the prestigious Columbus College of Art and Design. BFA. BFA. Okay, (laughs) BFA. Yeah. And then was your dad happy that you wanted to follow in his footsteps as an artist, or did he want you to be a lawyer or something else? Oh, no. See, that's
4: definitely a a key to my journey for sure was the, uh, you know, support from early on. Uh, He was always really proud of me and pushed me towards it. I mean, he was selling his creative thoughts constantly, and so when he saw me have a spark for it. He just was a hundred percent behind me on it. Cause he knew he, unlike most parents, he knew that that actually was a viable way to make a living. Okay. Creative
1: problem okay. solving, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so how, how do you think that your formal training at dash and Columbus helped you master your craft?
4: I mean, absolutely. You know, the, the benefit of having formal training is there's just no way to describe how much that counts into like, right. you know, my, my profession. Um, so absolutely yes, formal training.
1: What would you think really though, really put you in your place where you are now? Do you think it was that kind of fine tuning in the classrooms and in college, or really on the streets?
4: It's a definite combination of both. Um, I talked to my cousin uh, who's a musician, and he he's just a master musician too. And he he uh, he and I we always talk about how there's these artists that never got their formal training that are just beyond amazing too, you know, like, and we always talk about how they focus in on one little thing and they're really good at that. And they just get, they expand from that point. Um, I think as a graffiti artist and outside of like the education that I got formerly, the tenacity you have to have on like, you know, a more volatile situation, like where you're more, you know, having a dialogue with the public and you really want to communicate, you really right. want to make a, an impression, those types of things where there's like a, just a high energy and an explosive almost risk taking constantly um, that's the type of stuff that I really like thrived in. I really like enjoyed that sort of pressure system because it was it made sense to me, um, and that that really is where I feel like the business acumen came in, and also the push for you know making this such a a,
1: a way to live. Right. I mean, that has also evolved as well. I mean, because when I was here seven years ago, you know, what I mean, most of these guys were just looking for walls paint on Mm -hmm. not looking for money right you know and obviously i got involved with claudio (laughs) cp1 but but it's you know but i have no problem paying for art because it 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 is work and it's a lot of detailed work and a lot of time spent into creating something so i think it should be justified and paid for yeah i mean but back in the day i mean these guys were just looking for space to kind of get their art out there to be seen to Mm -hmm. then maybe then go on I mean is that how it used to work or is it
4: it's you know people CP2 even when we go out of town we still want a wall to just paint we don't necessarily want to get paid for it I mean we're doing it as a profession we want to get paid for it especially if there's a value add to where it's being put if anyone has any feedback to what we're doing you know of course Um, but you know it's everyone really like is it anyone anyone that chooses this path as a career that I know has a real passion behind it of course and it's you know Something they want to, of course, make a living off of. But, you know, long term, they're doing it no matter
1: what. Right. Yeah. Because they want to, because they love doing it. They're impelled to. Right. It, yeah. Was Aaron your first mural? Uh, can, you, can you describe it and reaction that it got from the public? <laughs> yeah, that was
4: definitely an interesting part of my career. Um, <laughs> I was in Ohio and I had, I had painted that on a canvas. And, you know, it, it was definitely kind of a risque you know, piece for me um, being in such a, like, classroom setting right um so you know it had a reaction but when i got back to miami i realized that it was like sort of a statement that right. I, was, I was absent from miami for four years and I, I really wanted to put it on a wall so chad Oppenheim and gave me that opportunity oh really paid me uh wow. seven hundred dollars <laughs> to do a 13 foot you know that was that was fine that was back really dead, yeah. yeah yeah that was fine um but it was right on Biscayne in 36. That Oof. was that was clutch, you know. And, of course. And there was nothing really going on, you know. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to say I pioneered street art in Miami, but it was a, it was definitely something in my repertoire. Like, I was early on, I was doing it before a lot of people, and uh, that one was very resonant right away. And I think that had to do with, yeah, my formal training. I, I was, like, right. much more inclined to, you know, study light and shadow and do all that. But just the randomness of that sitting there in a the big, open, negative space wall... Um, that that piece definitely got a huge uh, um, amount of attention, but mainly because someone erased it, they found it offensive. Really? Yeah. That, really? Not necessarily because I put it up. People were like, what is that doing there? Yeah, but then when it was gone, <laughs> I was like, why did they erase it? <laughs>
1: exactly. I mean, so $700 back then, what do you think, like in nowadays terms, I mean, it would be much more prolific now.
4: Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's something to be said though for, like this is the thing it's not necessarily money it's like okay i i have complete free will to do what i want you right. it's uncensored right. so a lot of people will be willing to pay your walls but to right. pay for you to do a wall but like who's gonna let you paint like a nude woman showing all this you know right, right there know. on the main, that's the thing so um i find sponsors i find money elsewhere right. sometimes right. Yeah. um but yeah you know now it's of course 10 times more
1: of course. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's come a long ways. I mean, which is better for you guys as well. Yeah. Uh, we, we get a lot of tourists that come into the tap room have questions about how the whole mural thing works, like who pays for them, who determines when they get painted over. Can you kind of, this is always, especially being here because we, you know, we've had some great art done on the walls. Mm-hmm. You know, can you kind of explain how it that works like what kind of leeway and time you should give to the art and stuff like that
4: yeah well that's the number one question is how you get walls and yeah. um i think um you, so you want to know how the, like what the how long walls should last or well yeah because procedures? this is
1: a discussion that i've had with multiple artists like on especially ethical, on an ethical level right like on, on a, right now sure. we're gonna say ethical because okay. sometimes people don't give a crap right but for me art does have a timeline right you know what i mean um we had the original Cantina mural in here for five years. Mm-hmm. And then we decided to redo the tap room. So I figured it was time to redo that. The walls outside, like our Vader wall, which was originally done by a guy from Puerto Rico, Biquismo. Mm. He did just the head. And we I think we left that there for, no, three years. It was three years. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of me. That was like an ethical timeline. Mm-hmm. Instead of just redoing it every year or every six months, mm you know and now we did this one and this is going on what two years now Maria
3: yeah well the thing that you talk about the timeline it's because the more time goes on the more awareness people have of the wall mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so we would get people two three years in going oh Vader wall Vader wall and that's all they want to see mm-hmm. and then but four years when we switched it up they were like what did you do with Vader I'm like he's <laughs> here now he's in full body right, mode but it was also, from
1: all angles here. right yeah. but it was also the thing was is when it was first done for the first two three years people would constantly stop by and take pictures mm. and then after like that third year going in the fourth you saw the decline in mm. the representation and it, you kind of had known that it had spent his lifespan
4: i think three years in winwood for a you know standard wall is a pretty good lifeline right i think i, I do too <laughs> I, I i you know you're gonna get artists are sensitive creatures of course you're nev- they're never gonna be happy when you go over, like right Winwood uh, Brewery had my mural up for I don't know how long. It was quite a bit of time. Right. When they announced they were going to paint over it, I was like, Oh man! <laughs> Even knowing like I'm, this is plenty right. of. Um, I think wear and tear on the wall. How just you you know if it's a, it needs a refresh, it's your building. I mean, right. you're commissioning the artist. That's these are all different things uh, to weigh into it. Um, but yeah, Winwood, um, it's it's got to be constantly you know keeping up. Right. Know?
1: Obviously, and. I know I pay for the walls on my property now on other walls, are they sponsored done and in coordination with the, you know, like the building owners? I mean, how does that work? So typically? it's,
4: it's complex, you know, there's so many different ways to go about it. People ask me that all the time when I'm, they find me painting, they're like, how'd you get your wall? How'd you get your wall? And it's so different every time it took me so many years before I even did get a wall in here. And so many artists still that are working here full time, still right. don't necessarily get walls here. Um, but the guerrilla tactics have always been one way. Oh, of course. <laughs> you know, of course. It can't be discounted. There's, right. there's plenty of places that no one cares about that are, you know, building owners own them, but they're not, obviously not caring for it. And um, that's one thing if you want to take that risk, of course. And then there's, right. um, you know, sponsors. So you, you have a, a lot of property owners own more than one place here. So they, they're free to give walls during Basel. A lot of people are coming here just to offer to do it for free. Right. So that was a real problem early in my career when these Europeans would come in with these amazing portfolios and they'd just be like, hey, we'll do yeah. this for free. And right. I'm like, man, give me $2,000 so right. I can pay rent. <laughs> 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 and uh, that was, you know, that was something to compete with. But um, it's basically about being assertive no matter right. what. Uh, if you're not known and you really want to get your name out, you, you've got to push. you got to come out and knock on doors still. It's not easy. Um, but set up, post up, just find something and do something. The money side of it is a whole other story. Right,
1: of course. I mean, it's. It, I'm sure <laughs> it gets a, complex. It's a whole other chapter. Absolutely. So Tony Goldman, uh-huh. who was a real estate developer, is credited with having the vision to feature street art and murals here in Wynwood. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it, it, I mean, it is a neighborhood that lacks some of the natural beauty of, per se, uh, South Beach mm-hmm. or Coconut Grove. You you do work with quite a few real estate developers. Mm-hmm. How have their views of street art and murals evolved and what are they looking for when they come to you?
4: They've become aware of the value of it. Uh I work with developers that are specifically like valuing artwork. Right. Yeah. Uh, how much, maybe not enough, but they still do understand that this is something they can't, you know, discount and um they they know it has to be here. They can't right. do they can't put up a building in, in this area and not Integrate. not have art on it. Yeah. So I think that's where they they come to me like for that level of like okay, well there's credibility we're we you know involving here like this guy he cares about the artist, he's been in the scene. Um I answer the
1: phone. <laughs> <laughs> <Of course. laughs> it's a big one. Yes. Um how do you think their views are now from what it was 10 years, 7 years, 5 years ago?
4: Oh, I don't know. I mean, I can't tell you exactly. I think uh They, they're, everyone in the whole city is being more aware. They're like getting, they're developing taste. They're developing more of like an understanding. They're getting, they're seeing, oh, I like this artist. And then they find out about this other artist. And, you know, they're all following multiple artists now. And that's all good stuff. Cause now there's more of like the standards are being raised. um, Quality is getting better. Um, You know, they're seeing their financial, uh, their, their real estate prices. You know, they're seeing how, you know, their condos are selling faster. Um, that's all happening so it's you know it's becoming more of a viable business of course now you know there's uh so many artists living off of this full time now which is fantastic which, i mean you know? i mean that it's,
1: that didn't used to happen
4: yeah it's so easy to go negative on all of it because
1: i mean i do but right. it's
4: also man like this is this is such a different world you couldn't even think about taking this as a career path when i was coming up.
1: oh uh, yeah i mean like I said, you know, when we started, I mean, dudes were just doing this for free, right? And they were buying their own paint and everything else, and like they weren't even asking me to cover paint, you know. So, right, they had to be going into the negative. Mm-hmm. Plus, the man hours that they were putting into the murals. I mean, it's it's just crazy to me. Yeah,
3: you're listening to the Beer Hour, and we're speaking to Danny Fila, aka Crave.
1: So this is the Beer Hour, and <laughs> yes. I, I understand that you are a pretty avid craft beer drinker. Do you remember? your first craft beer Mm, that kind of gateway beer that led you from macro to into craft um were you in ohio i
4: I remember well (laughs) listen i remember titanic i remember titanic of course my dad took me to
1: titanic um the titanic brew pub but i
4: didn't know anything yeah sorry yeah i didn't know anything about craft beer until i went to ohio and then i realized whoa this is a thing yeah um and nothing really stuck with me like oh this is the beer i like but i just remember having a like a getting a taste for it and understanding like this quality levels here that I wasn't aware of, you know? So getting back to Miami and watching what has happened with beer is just so cool. Like it's such a, it, and it's fun too to like laugh at all these people with long beards that are like such <laughs> beer nerds now. I'm like, come on, man.
1: <laughs> just enjoy beer. Just yeah. enjoy beer. Yes. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's definitely changed. I mean, I've, I've lived down here majority of my life and was, you know, 2004, when I got into drinking craft beer, there was nothing in Miami. You had the Titanic mm-hmm. and you had the Abbey. But really, as far as craft beer, craft beer goes, there really wasn't anything. There was no breweries. There was nothing like that. There, uh, Total wines didn't even exist and you couldn't source anything. I mean, and then total wine came along. And the only thing they had, I think, were Belgian beers in there. Right, right. So then you were only able to drink Belgian beers. But as far as like American craft, it, it just didn't exist. And then all of a sudden it just like blew up.
4: Yeah and places like Yard House really yep. informed the general public down here I think a lot yes. because that's that's where I had a few experiences with beer that were like whoa this is great you know like yep. like concoction from Brooklyn Brewery that I think has been yes. retired
1: since but things were just like what you can do anything with beer it's art absolutely I mean, it is i mean you know it's it's a different form of art but i still i feel like you know certain you know chefs and brewers are artists in their own right for sure you know so it, you know we have this canvas that we work with whether it be blank you know you can take a adjunct imperial stout and it's like how do we mix these things into this blank canvas to make this final creation you know what I mean so it's 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 definitely art in its own right what are you drinking nowadays that you were excited about drinking
4: oh excited I mean I love my La Plaguita. Um I think that's my like always like happy to open that up and just you know in the fridge beer um, excited about Oh, let me think for a second, man, because I really just like new beers. I like new beer experiences. I okay. like going to new breweries. Yours is always like the top when I come here. And I got to give you props. I appreciate that. I got to give you props on the level of just like you're independently run. You really like support the arts. It's it's just cool to have entities like that uh, around bringing the city forward.
1: I mean, it, that's kind of like, you know, when, when I came here was what drew me. But it's also kind of like how I grew up with. Pop culture, comic books, everything that I was into. So art has always been kind of with me. I mean, I don't go ahead.
3: No, I was gonna say he's excited about that new pilsner he's about <laughs> to drink <laughs> that, <laughs> that <laughs> I poured <laughs> for him. <laughs> I've right,
1: right. right, right, yeah, yeah. yes,
3: been yeah. talking someone. Um, it's a German style pilsner. We called it pills, pills, pills to keep with our pop culture references. Uh We're referencing bills, bills, bills by Destiny's Child. So oh, all right, yeah, nice, Pils. I mean, nice traditional.
1: But it, I mean it. And Maria knows this as well, but um, I actually spent a lot of time drawing and did a lot of art classes myself. It just never, I got into sports.
4: You know, that's a story of almost everybody that really appreciates and supports art. I yeah. swear that they had some sort of hand in it.
1: I still too. have drawings at home that I've done. Yeah. And, and you know, my kids, and, you know, they love to draw and stuff and I, and I push them, you know, it's a good to have an artistic side and, and express yourself in that way. And I still dabble every once in a while, you know, I'm not going to do my own labels. You oh, know? you should. I know. Maria said I should, but I don't, you know. I think no. a
4: lot of people would be entertained to see you come out <laughs> and bust out with it, you know. It's
1: better than stick figures, so, you I know, mean, we can go that way. You know, but, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's, it's kind of why I do appreciate the arts. I mean, because we are a facet of that, but it's like my background in this, and I always appreciate all you guys, you know, what everything you guys do. It's always interesting to me. Um and you yourself, you are helping to produce the first ever Miami Mural Festival, which will run from December second to the fifth. Which is also Art Basel.
4: Yeah, it's coinciding with Miami Art Week, and it's well, the most exciting thing about it to me is that it's happening in downtown Miami, which is relatively desolate when it comes to like oh, art. Yes, and uh, you know we we saw what happened in other parts of town where you can just start integrating murals, and all of a sudden there's just more people walking on the street. So I'm really excited about that. And painting is going to commence actually in the next couple of weeks. Uh, You're going to have a lot of big murals happening. There's a focus on local artists, of course. Right. Um, But it's going to be a pretty exciting event to to visit, but also after it all is said and done to just walk through downtown. and see So
1: how can people what is the best way for people to check this out during progress and and show up
4: on Flagler? okay <laughs> Throughout the month okay. of November, okay, and just walk around. The, you know, Flagler is going to be from um, you know Government Center all the way to Biscayne. It's going to be just lit up. There's going to have a lot, a lot going oh, on. Wow!
1: Yeah. So don't drive down there. That's probably like Uber probably or don't walk. Drive down
4: there <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's it's gonna it's not just Miami Mural Festival is going to you know encompass more than just right. uh, Flagler, but that's just what I'm personally most excited about. It's going to go into Wynwood a uh, little bit into Little Haiti. And it's going to be an annual thing. so we're. That's awesome. Yeah, it is really awesome. I'm excited most to, you know, expand into areas like uh, Overtown, into Little Havana, where right. my studio is. Because uh, what we're doing here in, in Wynwood is epic, but, you know, why not, you know, branch out? And I mean,
1: right. This was the epicenter, but why not let
4: it grow? And change it wherever we put it. So right. downtown, one of, one of my, uh, you know, contributions is to help make sure that this is different than what we have here right. and how to how to do that. Not that I'm a curator at all. I right. just, I, you know, there's do, certain ways Do you think that you yeah. might turn that way?
1: You know? Curator? Yes. Oh, I don't want to be a curator, no. <laughs> I feel like the most
4: hated <laughs> people ever.
1: No. Um, oh, man. So, I mean, you, you had spoke about it earlier. Art Basel is a month away. Uh-huh. How important is that festival to Miami and to artists like yourself?
4: Well, I think it's just, you know, all of our growth as a city is on like from flagler you know almost early on so i think that that's going to really just mark a new chapter of growth where you know we're going to expand from it and it's going to show that we are actually yeah we've always been an incubator for the art right all these things have been happening but nothing's really been organized it's kind of just happening and we're really we're really fortunate all these things keep happening all these museums keep popping up but everything's disconnected right so this level of organizations is starting to happen because developers are taking note and this is mana that's behind it but so many others are behind it too um they're really trying to organize this thing to, you know, be more of a platform that they can expand upon. And you don't have to be part of the festival to be part of the festival. It's right. like, you know, Art Basel, what are you doing for Art Basel? You know, oh. no one's really doing anything. No,
1: no. I mean, it, it, that's changed as well. I yeah. mean, it was really, it was, it's always been a party. Mm-hmm. It's always been a party, but I mean, it was a lot of focus on the art. Mm-hmm. And I think we've kind of gotten away from that to where it's more parties and less focus on the art. Uh, I wish Miami, we could get yeah. back to that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And really, because the art is what made the thing. Mm-hmm. It's not the parties. It's you guys and in, in the other half on the beach. You know what I mean? That's what made this festival and this whole thing. So I think really the focus needs to kind of turn back on that.
4: Yeah, it's it's a combination of everything. Obviously, you don't want like... You know, you have a gallery shows, and when everyone's just using your bathroom and drinking, you know, right? That's not what yes. you want. No, you do want people to have fun, be engaged, and come right. out. Because you go to a lot of art exhibitions where it's so like
1: stuffy. It's oh, I know. Twelve people. The, uh, the banana you know. with the duct tape. wow well, <laughs> don't
3: get me started. Don't get me started. How do you always steal my thunder? It's literally what I was about to say, and well, yeah. you just yeah. said it. I mean, that's no. all people talk about. I mean, last Basel.
4: You know, but they're the ones. I blame them. Everyone that brings them up, you included. You, you bring it up, you make it important, and like, right. that's the thing. It's just like, oh, there's so much going on, but. Everyone wants to talk about that because it's oh, so ridiculous. That and was it's ridiculous. Always what makes the news too is what what oh. pieces sell for if it's stolen. Right. My most news came from when my piece got buffed or taken down without oh. my permission. It's, oh. It's crazy what makes the news. It's. It's. Yeah. But you know, but people do need some sort of like you know fun and excitement and you know ridiculousness is what we all kind of delve into a little bit with art. So it, it all has. It's a combination. It's a balance of everything. You know, can't be too serious. Can't be too playful.
1: Right. So we got to find that right balance for everything. Yeah. To hit, to well, we hit, hit all just need to work. We need yeah, to get we got to work together. Yeah, we got to work together. Yeah, I agree with that. So how can our listeners from around the country and here in Miami see and purchase your art?
4: Craveart.com with a K. Um, you're not going to be able to purchase it necessarily. There's prints on my website. Um, I'm, I'm mostly commission-based and I'm hoping to have an exhibition in 2022, hopefully. Oh, okay. Uh, I've been working on it for a long time, but, you know, these other projects keep coming. Um, and when that happens i'll I'll have a lot of uh, like originals for sale finally i'm really overdue on an exhibition
1: last question what piece are you most excited about that's coming up that i'm doing yes
4: um i mean it's always the next one but i I gotta say the studio work that i've had hidden in my in my brokers told me not to like show or publish until like those pieces are just Till the exhibition, yeah, they're okay. fermenting in my <laughs> cellar, <laughs> and it's driving me nuts because it's been like twelve months looking at. It. I'm like, I really want to show people this. Oh wow, okay, so that, so, that's what I'm most excited about. So we
1: need to need to stay tuned and uh, and get ready for this exhibition. Yes, okay.
4: And what are you most excited about? Uh,
1: just art basil. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, you know, we didn't have it last year. It, it's been basically almost you know two years since we had a basil, right? And I'm very excited that it's coming back. And just you know, we're going to redo the front mural here. It's been two years with Black Panther. Now we're going Spider-Man. Nice. So, you know, it's, it's keep good. Keeping true to your roots. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Always. You know, we've had Ghost Rider. We've had uh, Thanos.
3: Can we get a Spider-Gwen? Or like no, a it's female actually, no, I, So the idea there? was to
1: have Spider-Man, Miles Morales, and Spider-Gwen. Okay. So. I'm happy. All right, I'm challenging
4: you to maybe think about your own piece, you know, your, comedy, uh, your, your yeah. original character. I'm not that good with
1: spray know? cans. Okay. I'm you don't not, have to be. Maybe you just yeah. come
4: up with a design and, okay. you know, consult one of us. Okay. I know. can do
1: that. I can do that. But, uh, Danny, thank you very much for Not coming my on. My Thank it was, you. it awesome. Thank you. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank our guests, Brandon Buckner, Lindsay Langston, and Danny Fila. My co-host, Maria Cabre, and my producer, Rocco Riggio. Thank you for listening. You can catch us each Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132. Replays are on Saturdays at 8 p.m. and Sundays at 1 p.m. or anytime on the SiriusXM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, people, the thirst is real.